Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Now, in the discussion we've been having for the last several weeks on why do we study the word from the Bible, we looked recently at the important role faith plays in helping us to focus. As we discussed, faith and focus play a key role in learning the secret to applying the word to your life. Now, this focus has to do with training to eye the eye to see rightly to see beyond sight and appearance, and see with the eyes of spirit. Uh, Jesus had a statement from John 7.24, the Gospel of John 7.24. It says, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Now, I gave you the example last week, and some of you were not here last week, and I'll give it again. We see things the way they appear, and that's what we determine in our mind for them to be. But appearance is a changing situation. Appearance is not the reality of the person, place, thing, or condition. It's part of the process of things moving from a state of being to a state of becoming. And I gave the example of this podium. I said, you see it, solid plastic, it's holding me up, I can lean on it. For weight, it's holding up my books, my notebook, and so forth. And you see it as solid, solid stuff. But in reality, what's here are just moving microscopic particles. And as I said last week, I should be able to put my hands right through them. Now, we see it as solid. That's the appearance. But the physicist sees it from the eye of the, of the, of, of the physicist. As I said, the physicist has entered into the kingdom of matter, so he can see. He knows while looking at this so-called solid piece of plastic that he knows that it has these microscopic particles, which is really its true, true composition. So Jesus says, judge not according to appearance. I suggested that in John 7, 24, Jesus was telling us that there are two ways to view things. The one is to see the person, place, thing, or condition as they appear to be, to the naked eye. By the way, with all the imperfections and all of the limitations that may show forth in terms of that appearance. And the other way is to see beyond sight and see with righteous judgment, where you see beyond the appearance and view the spiritual dimension of the person, the place, thing, or condition, because all of them have spiritual dimensions. In terms of the person, we would call that spiritual dimension the Christ within us. And interestingly, and I point this out, I've I mentioned this uh, before here, that the Hindu have a greeting called Namaskar, N-A-M-A-S-K-A-R. And it means the divinity in me salutes the divinity in you. Well, we have Christ in us. So as Christians, we would say the Christ in me beholds the Christ in you. That's our true dimension. Now. The spiritual or Christ dimension of you is who you really are. And it's that Christ dimension of you that is your hope. And this is what Apostle Paul is speaking to in Colossians 1, verses 26 and 27. Colossians 1, 
verses 26 and 27. Don't you miss having to be able to read this right in front of you? <laughs> well, I'm going to actually make this one available to you, and I'll tell you about it a, a little bit later. But it, it, is, it is easier to have it right in front of you. You don't have to go through the scriptures and so forth. But the reason I have done these hard copies for you and passed them out in the last few weeks is not necessarily make it easy for you. It's because I really want you to learn the things that are in the message. Because the whole purpose of us teaching here is for you to learn it and then to apply it. Amen. It makes absolutely no sense, does absolutely no good for you to come to service and say, oh, that was a good service. That was a good message. And then you go out and somebody says, well, what did they talk about? <laughs> what did he say? What did you learn? What can I apply to my life? You need to be able to leave every message you hear with something that you can apply to your life between here and the parking lot. Okay? So that's the whole purpose. So I'm going to make this available to you, and I'll tell you about it later. Anyway, Colossians, you had enough time. Did you find it yet? Yes. 26, 27. You know, you know this verse, and I sort of sh shortcut it. It speaks of this dimension of us. Paul does, as a mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you read the whole passage there, uh, because it talks about something which has been made uh, revealed to us, but just the essence of it is Christ in you, the hope of glory, something that's been hidden for ages and generations. Christ in you is your hope of overcoming your hope of victory, and your hope of living the victorious, overcoming life. Now, you receive, accept, and acknowledge this Christ dimension within you by faith. We study the word in the Bible so we can gain both knowledge and understanding of this reality of us. Now, no matter what you appear to be to yourself and to others, as Apostle Paul says, you are seeing through a mirror darkly. You're only seeing in part. For example, you're looking at me, but this is not the real me. Just like this is not the real you that's appearing. The real you is hidden behind those eyes. You have never seen the real me, and I have never seen the real you with the naked eye. But the reality is, is that the real of us is the invisible. It's the spirit. It's the Christ within us. But we thank God for his love. Uh, for us through Christ Jesus, for it's that love manifested through Christ that makes us whole, makes us have that spiritual dimension. In John 4, 17, we are told this. God has been perfect, perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, that's as Christ is, so are we in this world. Now, it's so easy to read this and not realize the import of that. As he is, as he is reigning as king of kings, lord of lords, as he's sitting uh, at the right hand of the father, as he is totally victorious, totally dominant over everything, that's the way we are in, in this world. That's what the scripture means. As he is, so are we, not in the world to come, not when we get to heaven, as we as we are in this world. This is the only world we know. It's the only world I know right now. So, that's, so as he is, so are we in this world, means that we are 
that we, it means that we're like Jesus right now. So let's look at uh, some of the descriptions given of Jesus, which are so relevant. relevant. It's so relevant to the song that the, the, uh, the uh, praise team sang about he reigns. And as Elder Nate said, because he reigns, we reign. But the scripture actually tells us this. Again, that's why you study the word in the Bible, so you can know what the scripture says. So we're going to look at that right now. Description of Jesus, Revelations 19.16. Revelations 19.16. There's a description that's written on his robe and on his thigh. 16 says, verse 16 in, in Revelation 19 says, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. King of kings, Lord of lords. As he is, so are we in this earth. Now, the word declares that as he is, so are we in this world. Romans 5.17, and you need to look at this. Take time to look at 5.17. Because it states what they sang about. It states what Elder Nate said. What does it say? It says that we are to reign in life. Let's read the whole uh, scripture. Romans 5, 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, the one being Adam, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign where? In life through the one Jesus Christ. We're supposed to reign in life. We're not supposed to be king of kings or with the king of kings when we get to heaven. We're supposed to reign in this world. Now, how are we supposed to reign? Look at Revelations chapter 1, verse 6. Revelations chapter 1, verse 6. We are told, and I'm quoting verse 6, and it's referring to Jesus, so I put in brackets, Jesus Christ has made us what? Kings and priests to his God and Father. We've been made kings and priests. So we are kings and priests. What do kings do? They reign. And look at what Revelations 5.10 says. It adds to this, Revelations 5.10. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. On the earth where we are right now. So summing all up, the word is telling us here that we are supposed to reign in this life on earth as kings and priests. How many feel as if they're reigning as kings and priests? Or how many feel that they're being reigned on? <laughs> so you have to really think about this. If you are not reigning, you have to examine why this is so. We should all be reigning. Look at what 1 Peter 2, 9 says. 1 Peter 2, 9. That's all the way back, almost next to Revelation. 1 Peter 2, 9 says this. And the reason I give you the scriptures is because it's not me saying this. This is what the word of God is telling you. And this is what you stand on and can stand on. But you can't stand on it if you don't know what's in the Bible. Right. So on. So I put it in. So you, you can get a copy of this later, and I'll tell you how. And you'll see all these scriptures here. 
And I do it so you can go back to them and refer to them. First Peter 2, 9 says this, but you are a chosen generation. He's talking about us, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're royal priesthood. We have to step back and not let the limiting person of appearance govern our life, but let the Christ in us rule. We let Christ rule in us so that we may reign in life as kings and priests. Now, we need to reach the point of acceptance and understanding that Apostle Paul reached when he writes, and he writes this in Galatians 2.20. I'll give you a chance to get there, Galatians 2.20. These are scriptures that you should be familiar with and know because you can apply to your life. Galatians 2.20. Apostle Paul says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nate made reference to that. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live, how? By faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what the Word says. This is why we study the Word in the Bible, so you can know what the Word says about you. When you take the process of seeing rightly and judging by righteous judgment to the logical and biblical conclusions, you end up in really a very good place. You end up letting the Word show you that you really are a king and priest who reigns in life. But I know that it's difficult for so many Christians and believers to believe that they reign because they're caught up with so many challenges and difficulties and seemingly never-ending complications. That's what life is, one bad situation after another for so many people. The problem is, is that even as Christian believers, we focus too much on how great the challenge is, how great the problem, how great the difficulty, and forget about how great our resources are and how much greater our resources are than any challenge. And again, the word tells us this. Go to 1 John, and 1 John is next to Revelations. That's little John. 1 John 4, 4, or just write it down and, uh, and look at it later. But those of you who can get there, 1 John 4, 4, which says this. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, meaning overcome the enemy, anything that's challenging you in the world. Because why? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Meaning he that is in you is greater than any challenge, any obstacle, any problem, any difficulty, any person, anything that may be challenging you in the world. You can only know this and receive it by faith if you study the word in the Bible, which tells you these truths. That's why we study the word from the Bible. Now, as we have taught, the he that is in you is Christ within you, which we've just quoted. And Christ in you is joined by who? By Father God and by the Holy Spirit. The three are one. But the scriptures tell us that they all dwell within us. That's the full Godhead of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit dwell, dwelling inside us, inside our being. This is the full Godhead. So obviously there's nothing greater than these three. There's no challenge. There's nothing. There's nothing equal to God and certainly nothing greater than God. So we first learn. So anyway, the uh, word tells us this. The word also tells us to live by faith, 
and that by faith we can learn to judge righteous judgment and see things rightly. We first learn to see ourselves rightly. And when you learn to see yourself rightly, you can then see others rightly and then you can see things, places and conditions rightly. This is why 2 Corinthians 4.18, 2 Corinthians 4.18, give you a chance to get there. 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us this. Are you there? Yes. Yes. It says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, the things which are seen. We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Those are spiritual things. For the things which are seen are temporary. The original King James Bible says they're temporal. Temporal. Temporal means temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So the real of us is eternal. The spiritual version of things, that's what's real and that's what's eternal. So the things are seen are temporary, which means what? They're subject to change. Anything temporary is subject to change. I'm subject to change. Unfortunately, over the years, I've changed. <laughs> I've gotten older. I've gotten, oh, amen that. <laughs> We all have changed. And so everything is temporary, subject to change. This is why judging by appearance is erroneous. When you judge a person, place, thing, or condition by appearance, you're condemning them in your mind to remain in that state. Now, I want you to listen to this next statement. In reality, these entities are not in a static state of being but rather in a moving state of becoming. We're all becoming something. We're actually all becoming more Christ-like, even though it's hard for a lot of us to believe that. We're all moving towards and becoming the image of Christ. So this is why the things seen are temporary and subject to change, because everything is in a state of becoming that moves them toward their ultimate good. Now, as we said last time, the changing character of the appearance of a person is the reason a sick person can be healed. There is that spiritual dimension of us that is always whole and well and wonderful. As I said in the healing class this morning, if you were not already healed, you couldn't become well. You couldn't get the manifestation. Where does that manif that manifestation comes from? The reality uh, of uh, of, uh, of what sickness sickness is. We describe sickness sometimes as struggling health. It's health struggling to get past the appearance into the manifestation of your wellness. Illness is struggling health. So. so there is a spiritual dimension of us that's always whole, well, and wonderful. The spiritual nature of us, oh, let me make this point. I'm making this point because you need to know this. The spiritual nature of us is our reality. That spiritual nature could never become ill. If the spiritual nature of us could become ill, there would be no medicine, no surgery, no remedy that could cure it. So 
spiritual nature never gets well. It's our physical nature that's subject to attack uh, with the appearance of illness and disease. Now, when I'm talking about appearance, it's important to understand because some teachers in some denominations will tell you that the sickness and illness is not real. Here you're hurting, your head is about to fall off, the arm is broken, and they say it's not real. It's only, no, it's real. It's real. It's real. And I use a phrase that I heard from Pastor Clint from Redeeming Love many, many years ago. The challenge in the form of sickness and disease is reality, but it's not finality. Again, it's moving. It's a struggling health and so forth. Finality is your spiritual dimension that's always whole. And that's what that's trying to move to. And the reason it doesn't get there for some people is that you're standing in the way. You're holding on to it. You're telling everybody, well, you know, I'm just trying to get through my arthritis and my aching back. When you say my, you're claiming it as yours and it belongs to you. Don't ever say that anything that doesn't belong to you belongs to you. Not my aching back or my miserable back. A lot of people say or my miserable feet are killing me and so on. No, if you're claiming it, guess what? It's yours. So on. So. So this is why uh, we look not at the things which are seen, which constitute appearance, but things that are not seen, which constitute the eternal reality. So the question is asked, how do I look at the things not seen? In other words, how do I look at the things that you can't see? You look at these eternal things through the eyes of faith. This seeing with the eyes of faith goes to the very heart of the definition of what faith is. And go to Hebrews 11.1, 1, which defines faith. Hebrews 11.1. 1. This is a scripture that you're familiar with and you know. Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for. You're hoping for that healed kidney. You're hoping for that healed cancer. You're hoping for it's the evidence of things not yet seen. The unseen eternal things are among the things that we hope for. And faith is what the substance of those things, of these things, until they materialize in the physical world, from the spiritual world. Faith is also the evidence or tangible proof of these unseen eternal things until they come into the physical world world from the spiritual. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you believe that I'm standing here teaching this morning? Raise your hands. I, I see a number of hands. Okay. Now, this is, this is an example of faith. See, you don't you need to use your belief in faith that I'm here. Why? Because I'm already here. And so on. So, faith is if you heard that the subway was all messed up and I was trapped in the subway, so you're having faith that I get here. <laughs> when I'm here, faith, which was the substance of my being here and the evidence of my being here, you don't need that anymore, and so on. So it's, again, it's by faith that we appropriate the things in this unseen world from the spiritual world into our material world. As I said before, everything that you need in life, that I need in life, already exist in the spiritual world. 
the things that we need in this three-dimensional plane that we live on, the plane of form and shape and time and space, whatever we need already exists, already exists. So we know this because everything in this physical plane originated from the spiritual plane. Everything physical has a spiritual origin. So a question again is how do we move the things needed from the spiritual world, such as a new kidney or some material need that you have, into our physical world from the spiritual world. As I said last time, in the physical world, the currency of the realm is what? No, no, in the physical world. Right. In the physical world that we live in, it's money. If you want lunch after service today, you've got to shell out some money at the restaurant. Whatever you need, if you want furniture, if you want a car, money is the currency of the physical realm. You purchase what you need by spending money. In the spiritual realm, the currency of the realm is faith. It is by faith that you acquire or appropriate the things from the spiritual realm into the physical world. And so faith is that substance of things hoped for that you want to bring in and the evidence of those things that are not seen because they're still there until they materialize. So I wanted to finish up uh, what I had ended up on last week to bring you to this point, to bring you to the point that you know that the word declares that we are to live, reign in life, how? As kings and priests, and so forth. And to use the other phrase that we talked about, act as if. So if you are reigning as a king, how does a king act? Or let me put it this way, how does he not act? He doesn't walk around with his head drooping and his head down and saying, woe is me, and whatnot. And then, no, a king walks upright. He doesn't have an inferiority complex. He is self-assured. He knows that everything that he needs is there and so forth. So you act as if. You walk like a king, speak like a king, and so forth. Now, don't carry this to the extreme. Don't, don't, don't go into the restaurant and say, now I'm the king, I want that person's seat right there. No, but it means that you have no reason ever to feel inferior in any situation, never to feel that you don't have what you need to deal with whatever situation that presents itself. You, you're a king in the kingdom the king has everything, and everything in the kingdom belongs to the king, meaning he can tap into whatever he needs in the, in the kingdom. We should be reigning in life, as the song said. We reign. He reigns, we reign. Right. And because he reigns, we reign. Now, I'm going to return to the, as I said, we appropriate these things from the spiritual realm into the physical world by faith. So I'm going to return to the importance now of the study of the word. Because we find that faith is always the foundation to everything. It is by faith that we receive all the many gifts of God that we uncover through studying the word. That's why we study the word. We want to find out what God has provided for us. And so we're going to return to an examination of those major things we receive from God that are contained in the Bible that we study. That's why we study it. Now, we began to look at these earlier in this series a few weeks ago. Uh, so again, we study the word because the Bible is packed full of God's 
love, God's purposes, God's gifts, God's promises, God's commands, his warnings, and his exhortations. These are all designed for us to apply and enrich our lives. So we're going to discuss each of these. I'm going to take at least a couple of these this morning, hopefully. Uh, but I listed the major ones uh, before. Let me give them to you again. God's love. What should we do? We should embrace his love, his purposes. We should understand his purposes for us, his gifts. We should know and accept his gifts, his promises. We should believe and receive his promises, his commands. We should obey his commands, his warnings. We should heed his warnings, his exhortations, follow his exhortations. And we'll talk about exhortations at a later point. And then he has declarations. We should rejoice in his declaration. So in studying the word of God in the Bible, we find that these writings, in these writings, we find his clear expressions of love. We find his divine purposes, his direct warnings, his pointed exhortations, his precious promises, and his many, many gifts. These acts of God written well over 2,000 years ago are all for us today. As Romans 15.4 says, Romans 15.4 says, and you can write it down. I'll read you what it says. Romans 15, 4 says this. For whatever things were written before, written in Scripture, written in the Bible, were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. It's the word in the Scriptures that give us hope because they tell us who we are, where we are, what we have, and what we can do. We have hope. Let's look at love. The love of God. We study the Bible because the words that are written contain the declarations and expressions of God's love. So we're going to look at some of those. I obviously can't go over all of those because that would take the next several weeks. But I'm going to give you some of the major things that show God's expression of love. It's important to see, understand, and embrace God's love because everything else he does for us and mankind flows from his love of us and his love of mankind. We are going to start by looking at Jeremiah 31.3. This is in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31.3. You can mark it down. As I said, you'll be able to get a copy of this at the end of the service, but you will have to do something in order to, to get a copy. <laughs> Jer Jeremiah 31.3, where it says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God's love for us is everlasting. And we see it expressed in so many ways. Let me give you this other uh, scripture from Ezekiel, from the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. Ezekiel 36, 26, 27. Where God says this in verse 26. That's Ezekiel 36, verse 26. God says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Walk in my statutes, walk in my words. You will keep my judgments. You will keep my word and do them. Here I'm reminded of a statement that St. Augustine said, Obviously, many, many years ago, St. Augustine, the Catholic saint, 
He says the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. As we study the New Testament and compare it with the Old, we see more of God's love for us revealed. In the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis, we see God's love for humanity begin to unfold as he sets in motion his plan for redemption after Adam's fall in the garden. This is fulfilled through the salvation and redemptive work of Jesus in the New Testament. Everything that comes from God is love because as 1 John 4, 8 tells us, that's little John 1, John chapter 4, verse 8. 1 John 4, 8 tells us this. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. So everything he does is motivated by love and is made in and of love. See, God is love. So everything that emanates from him is love. Everything that's made from him is made in and of love and so forth. And guess what? We're made in the image and likeness of God. We always accept that's Genesis 1, We're made in his spiritual image and likeness. But if he's love, we're also made in that image as well. Even though, based on the conduct of some people, it's hard to believe that they're made in and of love. So, but we're made of his spirit and we're made of his love. We're made of both. So we see his Love expressed in the scripture that everybody knows and can and quote by heart. That's John 3.16. For God so loved, let's, let's say it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not die but have everlasting life. Yeah. That's it. That's a great love that God demonstrated for us. God's great love is revealed and demonstrated to us through Christ Jesus. And it's described in Romans, and I do want you to go here. Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 6 and 8. I'll give you a chance to get there. Romans 5, verse 6 and 8. When you have it, say so you have it. All right, Romans 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. In other words, one would hardly die for a righteous man, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Eight, but this is what's important here. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. By love through Christ Jesus, we are brought into the family of God. And in 1 John 3, 1, and I give you these scriptures because so you can you know that they're there. I'm not just saying these. And what? Let me back up and, 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 and tell you what I'm talking about. I could easily get up and I could easily prepare a message and not cite any scriptures. And it would sound good, and so forth and so on. And you might get something out of it. But I put the scriptures in it to validate what I'm saying. Because you can then go back and check it out yourself. What does Apostle always tell us? Check it out for yourself. You can see that this is really here. So I gave you enough time to find 1 John 3, 1. What does it declare? 1 John 3, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. 
So when, when I say that you're a child of God, you don't have to take my word for it. The word declares that you're a child of God. Romans 8.17, you should all know this one. Romans 8.17. Romans 8.17 says this. And if children, then heirs. We're joint heirs of God, and guess what? Joint heirs with Christ. We are really in good company. And it's not me saying this. This is what the Word says. This is why we study the Word in the Bible, so you can know who you really are. So in the words of Psalm 136, 26, Psalm, you can just mark this one down. You can look at it later. Psalm 136, 26. Unless they, oh, they're not, oh, they're not posting scriptures, are they? Yes. Oh, they are? Oh, okay. <clears throat> but then why do you have me up there in the way? Can you, can you, <laughs> can you, can you see them? All right, Psalm 136, 20, 36 says this. 136, 26, verse 20 says, Give thanks to, to the God of heaven for his mercy. By Here, mercy means his love endures forever. It lasts forever. Remember Jeremiah 31, 3, which we just cited? I have loved you with an everlasting love. But this is what I want you to go to. Go to Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 38, 39. This is a scripture that you should know that it's in the Bible. I think some of you know that it's here. You should know where it is. And it's one that you should always keep because so many people reach a point where they think that they've done things that are so bad in life, have done th things that they consider so irreligious in life that God just could not love, love them and so forth. But look what Romans 8 38, 39 says, this is why you need to know what's in the Bible. Listen to this. 38, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. 39, nor height, <coughs> nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me, separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing separates you from the love of God. So it's important to know that. It's important to know that. And it's important to know that this is what God's word is telling you. While God's love for us is revealed through Christ Jesus, his love has also been poured into us by his Holy Spirit. You need to know this. And where is this stated in the Bible? In Romans. You're in Romans. Back up to Romans 5 and look at verses 2 through 5. Romans 5. So Romans 5, I'm reading at verse 2. It says, through whom, the whom is God, also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Three, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. That's endurance. When you're going through tribulations or trials and challenges and so forth, it produces endurance. And perseverance, endurance produces character, and character, hope. Five, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by whom? By the Holy Spirit who was given to us, given to us by God the Father and the Son. Now, ultimately, the greatest gift God has given us is a gift <laughs> that he himself is. God has given us himself in that we were made in his image and likeness. And he 
has put himself inside of us. He has made us to be like him and to act like him. And we're told this in Psalm 8. And you need to go here. You, you're familiar with this, but you need to take a look at this. What the eighth Psalm says, and we're going to read verses 3 to 6. And I'll give you a chance to get there. Psalm 8, verses 3 to 6. Verse 3 says this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you, meaning you, God, are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Five, for you have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. Six, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Six is telling you that you reign. Everything is under your feet. There's nothing that's not under your feet. And guess who's there under your feet? That's where Satan is, under your feet. If he's giving you a bad time and a hard time, it's because you have lifted up your feet and let him out. From under. He's under your feet. All things are under your feet. All challenges are under your feet. All difficulties are under your feet. That class in geometry is under your feet. Everything is under your feet. Now, go back to verse 5 where it says, for you have made him a little lower than the angels. In the original text of the Bible, the word used for angels here is Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, which is a Hebrew name for, for God. So we're not a little more than the angels. We are a little lower than God. He made us a little lower. We're almost little G's. We're little gods and so forth. We're actually in a better place than the angels. We, we, actually, we actually are. What is that scripture? Which of his angels has he ever said, sit here and I'll make your enemies? No, he says that, he says that to us, not to the angels and so forth. So, so with our God, with our God-like dominion, all things have been put under our feet. All means all. There's nothing left. A-L-L, there's nothing left out of all. Therefore, nothing should reign over us in life. Not sickness, not poverty, not ignorance, not worry, not fear, no bad habits, no other works of the enemy. Uh, I like to give this illustration with people who say, you know, it's really hard to give up smoking and drinking and so forth and so on. So I like I give this illustration. I'm going to digress for a second. I say, take the cigarette, hold it up like this, and look at it and say, now, wait a minute. I'm smoking you. You're not smoking me. <laughs> because if it's smoking you, you don't have a chance. You're smoking it. You bought the pack, opened the pack, took the cigarette out, lit it. You're smoking it. You have control. It's not smoking you. It didn't buy itself. Same thing with that glass of uh, whiskey. It's not drinking you. You're drinking it. You have control. It's all under your feet. Or in the case of some of you, it's in your mouth. So, no, that, I'm not making a big deal out of, out of, out of drinking. Uh, now, and no other works of the enemy are greater than you. They're all under your feet. And what you should do is step on them, kick them out of the way and, and keep on walking. Now, this is all because of the great love God has for us. And the remarkable thing about the everlasting God has for us 
is that it is all unconditional. It is not based on who you are or who you think you are or who you think you're not. It's not based on you earning it. It's un he gives it unconditional. It's agape, the agape kind of love, unconditional love. You have it. It's, you cannot earn it. You cannot merit it. He gives it because he loves us. Now, as I said earlier, everything that God has done for us is, was motivated by his great love. And everything that flows from God results from this love. The other things that flow from God's love are all contained in the Bible. And that's why we study the word. After love, the next thing we should look for in this study in the, of the word, and I only gave you some of the partial things that pertain to love that are contained in the Bible, is we should look to the word for an expression of God's purpose. His purpose for us flows from his love. So we're going to take a little time and look at his purposes. His purpose is another way of saying God's will, his will for us. To understand God's will and purpose, we have to understand that everything God does to express and carry out his will and his purpose and his love, he does it how? He does it through the Son, Jesus. All things are done through, you have to understand this. That's the importance of the Father and Son working together. He does it through the Son. But I want you to see, I'm not just saying this, I'm gonna show you where it says this in, in, in the Word. Go to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, the very first chapter, and this lays it out for us. Gospel of John. When you're there, say you're there. Gospel of John. And we're going to read verses 1, 2, 3, which tells you what I just told you. One, in the beginning was the word. Now you know that the word is Jesus. And the word was with God. And Jesus was with God. And the word was God. Jesus was God. Two, he was, meaning the word in Jesus, was in the beginning with God. Three, Listen to this. How many things? All things were made through him, meaning through Jesus Christ. And without him, nothing was made that was made. All things that were made were made through Christ Jesus. Now, a little more background here. After Adam's disobedience in the garden, man became spiritually dead. As you know, dead means, spiritually dead means separated from God. At the same time, dominion and control of this world was handed over to Satan by Adam. That is why Satan is called the ruler of this world, meaning he's a ruler of the world's systems. We see this especially in the world's economic systems. You know God is not in charge of the system because God would never have a system that's set up where 10% of the people own 90% of the wealth. What kind of sense does that make? That would not be a world or system that God would set up. So we know that uh, uh, God did not set up this world. Uh, we see now, Jesus is talking about Satan in John chapter 12, verse 31. In John 12, 31, you can write it down. He says this, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world is Satan. He's talking about I just, I'm just giving you that reference to show you that the scripture tells us that Satan is the ruler of this world. Here's another one. As ruler of this world, Satan has a major influence on the ideals, opinions, goals, hopes, and views of, and I want you to understand this, of the unbelieving world. Not the total world, the world of the unbelievers and so forth. 
This is what Apostle Paul is referring to in 2 uh, uh, Corinthians 4.4. Uh, 4. You might turn to that 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, where Apostle Paul says this, 2 Corinthians verse 4, 4, uh, I mean chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 4, when he says this, whose minds, this is the unbelievers' minds, not us, the unbelievers' minds, the God of this age that Satan has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. The God of this age, the God of this world, is Satan. Okay. Now, when we say that Satan is the enemy of God, we are not saying that he is equal to God. Some people think that Satan is opposing God and he is equal to God. He is in no way equal to God. No way. He is the God of this unbelieving portion of the world. And he has sway over the unbelieving portion of the world. But God has always remained sovereign, the supreme sovereign over all, in all, and through all. Now, initially, the person who shared this dominion over the earth was Adam, as you know, where God in Genesis 1.26, and uh, uh, you can just write it down because you, you've read this before. In Genesis 1.26, after Adam was created and... Eve was created, he says, and, and give them and give over and, and, and uh, let them have dominion over all the earth and everything that creeps on the earth. So Adam had dominion over the whole earth and he gave it over to Satan for nothing. But after Adam's fall, it became the overall and express will and purpose of God to reconcile the lost back to him. The plan of reconciliation and redemption is what the Bible is writing about from the second chapter of Genesis. And this, is, and this is something you should know. It starts back in the second chapter of Genesis and goes all the way to Revelations. It's a whole plan of redemption for us there. To know and understand God's purpose is why we read and study the Bible. We saw in John 1.3, God does all things through his son. So the plan for reconciliation is carried out through his son, through Christ Jesus. And you see this in Colossians 1, 19, 20. Colossians 1, 19, 20. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19, 20. Verse 19 says this, For it pleased the Father that in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. 20, and by, meaning through him, that's Jesus again, and by him, to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. This is God carrying out the act of re reconciliation through his son, Christ Jesus, or Jesus. Also look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, which says this. 18 says this, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 18. Now all things are God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That means we need to go around helping to reconcile other people to Christ. Just like that. 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself 
not imputing their trespasses to them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. So, so that's part of our job, to be ambassadors of Christ, to help carry out the work of reconciliation. Now those who are reconciled to God are us, the believers. But in his promise and purpose, in other words, we're reconciled. Not everybody is reconciled, the unbelievers are not. But I want to show you that it's God's purpose that none be lost. So I'm going to give you that scripture. That's 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9. Which says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. And some count slack, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering, meaning he's patient toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants all to come. And so... As believers, we should be helping to bring this about as ambassadors to Christ. As uh, Cassandra said, we should be engaging more in discipleship, bringing disciples to Christ, bringing people to Christ. So we know that God's plan and purpose for us is all good. God tells us this in Jeremiah 29, 11. This is another scripture that you should be familiar. Jeremiah 29, 11. You can go there, but I'm going to read it to you out of the Message Bible. Because I like the way the Message Bible puts this. Jeremiah 29, 11. This is God speaking. For I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans for welfare and peace. Not to get on welfare, but for your good welfare. <laughs> welfare and peace and not for evil. To give you hope in your final outcome. God's purpose for good for us and his will uh, for us. He had this before time began. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 11. I'm going to read those to you quickly. Ephesians 1, chapter 4. Uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. I'm going to read that to you. Just as he, God, chose us in him, meaning in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5. Having predestined, this is God, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. 11, in him, that's Jesus, also we have obtained an inheritance uh, of which is eternal life, being predestined according to the purpose of him, God, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In other words, he predestined all of this for us before the beginning of time. We just have to come into it. We're all, we're talking about studying the word to get an understanding of God's will and purpose for us. We see from the study so far that the purpose and plans God had for us were known to him before time began. We were known to him before the foundation of the world. As believers, we were known to him before time began. And Romans 8.29 tells us this. Romans 8.29 tells us this. 829 tells us this. For whom he, meaning God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many. Remember I said we're all progressing towards becoming the image of, of Christ. That's what we're doing. So we are to be like Jesus, which means in part that we ought to walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. God gave us the Holy Spirit to help us in our walk. 
So we see God's will and love expressed here that we believers are to become the very image of Jesus, as we discussed earlier. Earlier we looked at John 4.17 where it says we are to be as he is, or we are to be as he is in this world. We are to be like him wherever he is, whatever he is, we're to be like him in this world and so forth. So God's purpose for us is to live a truly victorious, overcoming life and has said in his word that he has given us everything that we need to do this. And we will look at that next time. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.